The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Delta Airlines. Delta has partnered with 55 academic institutions to create a pipeline of the next generation of pilots and technicians. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, November 19th. In today's news, the death toll rises in California's campfire. President Trump won't listen to the recording of Jamal Khashoggi's murder. And Florida's fraught Senate race finally has a winner. But first, the big idea. President Trump has angered the military community by escalating a war of words with one of its most revered members, retired Admiral Bill McRaven. In an interview with Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday, Trump went after the retired Navy SEAL and Special Operations Commander who oversaw the killing of Osama bin Laden and the capture of Saddam Hussein during his 37 distinguished years in the military. Trump decried McRaven as a Hillary Clinton fan and an Obama backer, before suggesting that the four-star admiral, who recently left his post as chancellor at the University of Texas so that he could battle leukemia, should have caught bin Laden faster. Last year, McRaven called Trump's description of the news media as the enemy of the people, the greatest threat to American democracy he had ever seen. This past summer, McRaven went to bat for John Brennan, defending the former CIA director as a man of integrity after Trump revoked his security clearance. In a statement on Sunday, McRaven said he did not back Clinton or anyone else in the 2016 presidential election, and that he is a fan of both Obama and George W. Bush, two presidents whom he worked for while in uniform. He said, quote, I admire all presidents, regardless of their political party, who uphold the dignity of the office and who use that office to bring the nation together in challenging times. My colleagues Paul Sony and Phil Rucker note that the president's remarks about McRaven come amid broader questions about his relationship with the military and veterans. During his trip to France the weekend before last, the president did not attend a ceremony commemorating the 100th anniversary of the end of World War I because of the rain, with the White House saying his helicopter couldn't fly in inclement weather and a motorcade would have caused too much traffic. Trump also didn't visit Arlington National Cemetery last Monday to mark Veterans Day. Two years in, he still has yet to visit American troops serving in combat in Iraq or Afghanistan, though he did tell Chris Wallace he still plans to do so. But Trump canceled plans last week to visit the thousands of troops he deployed to the southern border, sending Defense Secretary Jim Mattis instead. Trump had deployed those troops ahead of the election in what many consider a political stunt designed to fire up anti-immigrant sentiment among his base. Before the midterms, Trump had said he was sending as many as 15,000 troops to the border. But the military said last week that the number of active duty troops deployed, in fact, has peaked at about 5,900. An additional 2,000 members of the National Guard have been there since April. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the death toll in California's Camp Fire rose to 76 as more than a 1,000 people remain missing. As firefighters battled to contain the deadly blaze, authorities intensified efforts to identify the lost and the dead. Teams of volunteers in white protective gear searched blackened ground, and family members came to makeshift DNA centers where their mouths were swabbed to help identify remains. On Friday, authorities released more than 600 names in an effort to identify those who had been found by friends and relatives. On Saturday, the Butte County Sheriff said that the list of people unaccounted for was up to 1,276. 
the astonishing tally raised fears that the death toll will rise exponentially. There are still stories of hope among the disaster. The Post's Allison Klein reported yesterday on one family who fled the fire and later found out that their garage had become a safe haven for an ambulance crew and their patients. A few hours after leaving their home, Desiree Borden got a Facebook message from someone she didn't know. It turned out that in an act of desperation, a paramedic had broken into their house through a doggy door. The ambulance crew then loaded three patients into the garage. They were joined by others, and ultimately, 13 people took refuge in the garage from the fire. Visiting California over the weekend, Trump incorrectly suggested the state could prevent wildfires by following Finland's example and raking forests. Yes, raking forests. Trump went on to explain that the president of Finland, whom he met on an overseas trip a week earlier, told him about raking the forest floors. The Finnish president disputed this. He told a local newspaper that he had briefed Trump on Finland's efforts to surveil and care for its forests, but he said he can't recall anything being mentioned about raking. Number two, Trump said he will not listen to the tape of Washington Post contributing columnist Jamal Khashoggi's murder inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Based in part on that tape and other intercepted communications, the CIA has concluded that Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered last month's killing. But Trump maintained in that Fox interview that the Crown Prince had told him, quote, maybe five different times and as recently as a few days ago that he had nothing to do with it. Aides have said Trump has been looking for ways to avoid pinning the blame on Mohammed, a close ally who plays a central role in Trump's Middle East policy. Trump described it as a suffering tape and told Chris Wallace that he doesn't need to listen to know what's on it. He called it, quote, very violent, very vicious and terrible. Still, Trump demurred when Wallace pressed him about the crown prince's role and whether he may have been lying to Trump about his lack of involvement. Number three, Democratic incumbent Bill Nelson conceded to Republican Governor Rick Scott in Florida's fraught Senate race after the conclusion of a manual hand recount. Although results of the race are not due to be certified until Tuesday, Nelson says it's over. He went on Sunday to issue a call for bipartisanship in an era of brutally divisive politics. Going into the recount, Nelson had trailed Scott by more than 12,000 votes, and his campaign had hoped a re-examination of ballots, particularly in heavily Democratic Broward County, would help him close the gap. But when the recount ended at midday Sunday, Scott still led Nelson by 10,033 votes out of more than 8 million cast. Scott's razor-thin victory leaves Florida with two Republican senators for the first time since the Reconstruction era and it boosts the Republican Senate majority to 52. A final Senate seat in Mississippi will be decided in a November 27th runoff. That race has become unexpectedly competitive, and Republican Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith made some high-profile stumbles recently, including telling a supporter she'd sit in the front row of a public hanging if he invited her. That her opponent, former Congressman Mike Espy, is attempting to become the state's first black senator since shortly after the Civil War has made her remarks all the more glaring. SB remains the big underdog in such a red state where Trump's still popular, but Republicans with access to private polling say that Hyde-Smith's lead has narrowed significantly in recent days. So Trump announced this weekend that he will hold rallies in Mississippi next Monday on the eve of the runoff. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, November 19th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. 